I'll tell you, it is an honor and a privilege to be here this morning. Truly thankful for all of you that I got to meet. And uh, we've had a blessed time since we have been here. Uh, we came in yesterday and got to meet uh, with your deacons, had a wonderful time with them. Uh, also then got to meet with your staff. And uh, just to let you know, your staff is a little crazy. Um, but I'll tell you, I already love them. Uh, they are just a great, great group of people. And we uh, just sat back in offices and just laughed our heads off the entire time, had a great time. Uh, you guys are truly, truly blessed. And I'm going to tell you what, the worship, whoo, wow. If, you, uh, if you're not heated up, your wood's wet. And uh, so I'll tell you what, that was absolutely amazing. Uh, I, I kind of believe that you guys aren't really Baptist. Y'all are Bapticostal. Would that be about right? Um, but that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So... Well, my family and I, we're truly blessed to be here. Thank you for having us, and uh, we have had a wonderful weekend. Uh, but we're going to dive into God's Word this morning. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning asking for your hand to be upon this service. It is obvious your Holy Spirit is already moving. Father, thank you for this worship. Lord, thank you for this wonderful choir. What a blessing it was to be able to just praise you and to lift up holy hands to you, and to glorify your name. Oh, Father, we thank you for what we have already been a part of. Lord, we have already had church this morning, and now we are going to delve into your word. And God, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. Let it be your words that are spoken and not mine. I just simply want to be your mouthpiece this morning. So, Father, let your words flow through me today. Let it penetrate our hearts. We pray, Father, at this time that you will increase and I will decrease. God, I just ask that you would move in a mighty way. Let your Holy Spirit fall fresh upon this place, upon every heart that's here, and move in our hearts and lives today. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles open up to Romans chapter 12, we're going to be looking at just two verses this morning. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. But I wonder, have you ever wanted more? If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. You do something for the child, and they come back, and they want one more, which means one more, one more, one more, till you're about ready to pass out. When I was growing up, my parents would take us to the arcade, and they'd give us a couple of dollars to get some quarters, and we'd go in there, and we'd use all those quarters, and then, of course, we'd come back to mom and dad and want more. Maybe you've been eating dessert one day, and as you were eating dessert, and you get to that last bite, and you think to yourself, your wife leans over and says, I would really like that last bite. You're really wishing you had more. <laughs> if you've ever been on vacation, you know what it's like. You come back from vacation, and the very first thing that you want to do is what? You need a vacation from your vacation, so you want more rest. So we've all been there. We've all wanted more. Maybe in your life, you've wanted more. You sit back and you think, well, I've got the perfect job. I've got the perfect family. Now some of you are wondering if I've really met your families, right? But you've got everything going for you, but you think to yourself, well, I would really love to maybe get that next step. I'd love to have that next job, or I'd love to get that next promotion, or have more responsibility at work, or make more money, or have more time off, more time so I could spend with my family, more time so that I could have my hobbies and, and do the things that I love to do, more time to go hunting or fishing or playing golf. I would just love to have more, more, more. But I wonder if you've ever wanted more for your spiritual life. 
You see, it was that search for more that changed my life forever. You see, I've always grown up in church. Even since the time I was four, I sang in church. Just loved to be able to worship. I went to church and enjoyed it and loved it. But, you know, I saw all my friends going down front when I was five years old. And, you know, at five years old, you just think, well, I don't want to be the only five-year-old left out, right? And so I went front. I wanted to get baptized like all my friends were doing. So I walked up in the aisle. I went up to the preacher, and he said, what are you here to do? I said, I don't know. I just want to do what they're doing. He said, well, here's what you need to do. He said, do you want to go to heaven? I said, well, it's a whole lot better than hell, so yes. He said, well, here's what you need to do. You pray this prayer with me. So I prayed with the pastor. He said, let's get you baptized. I got baptized. And then I was just in church. But I was a Christian, right? I prayed the prayer, the magic words. I went to children's choir and sang in the children's choir. I sang in the youth choir. I went to children's camps and went to youth camps. And I went through all the motions. I went to church with my parents on Sunday. I had a drug problem. Did y'all know that? My parents drugged me to church. But you see, that's the thing. I mean, I grew up in church and, and I knew all the stories and I knew the right way to answer questions. But I was wanting more because I knew there was something missing in my life. Well, I decided, our association decided to put together a, a singing where they brought all the youth together. And so we got in there and we, I decided I was going to go try out for Live It to the Max 2. And I wanted to be DJ Wolfman. That was my part. I ended up getting that part. I loved it. But I'm going to be honest with you, the only reason I did it was for the girls. I did. That was it. So I went, and I, sure enough, I did my part. And I found all the girls, all the pretty girls. And you know what's amazing? They all went to the same church. So when I got home, I went to my parents and said, hey, I would like to go to Gate City Baptist Church. And my parents said, well, as long as you go to church, you can go. Jackpot, right? <laughs> so I went to church. But six months being at that church, I noticed something that was missing in my life. I noticed something that wasn't quite right. You see, I would take my Bible to church, but that's the only time I opened it. And I would pray. I would pray because my parents made us pray before we ate dinner. And so I would pray with them. And I would always pray before tests, especially the ones I didn't study for. But you see, my life was just ordinary. I was just a churchgoer, just an attendee, just somebody who went through emotions. But you see, I began to ask them, what's different? Because I wanted what they had. You see, they didn't mind taking their Bibles to school. And they didn't mind praying in front of their friends. And they didn't mind telling their friends who Jesus was. And they were unashamed in their relationship. And I began to realize that there was something missing in my life. And what was missing was a relationship with Jesus Christ. I had a relationship with the church, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And I wanted more. I wanted what they had. So when I was 18, I surrendered. I gave God my all. I said, you know what? I'm tired of holding back. You can have it all. And God changed my life. I began to read the Bible daily. I began to pray daily. I began to seek his will for my life daily. I wanted to be all in. Well, let's be honest. Some of you may be in the same boat as I was in. You're just playing the game of church. You're just 
having a good time. You're just going through the motions. But I'm here to tell you the answer is right here in God's Word. It's right here. It's a man named Jesus who gave his all for you. And what he wants you to do is not just dabble in your relationship with him. He wants you to be all in. And so this morning, we're going to talk about being a living sacrifice, about how to be surrendered to Christ and how to be all in in that relationship with Jesus. This morning, we're going to look at three parts that you have to give to be a living sacrifice. Look at me in Romans 12. We begin in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The first thing that you have to give to God is you must give God your bodies. He begins in verse 1 when he says, I beseech you, therefore. The word beseech comes from the Greek word parakaleo. It means to encourage or to come alongside of. It's the very same word that's used in John 14 and John 15 when he calls the Holy Spirit the paracletes. He's the one who comes alongside of us to encourage, to lift us up, to carry us on. So he says, I beseech you, I encourage you, I admonish you. Admonish you how? By the mercies of God. Have you ever just thought about the mercies of God and what God has done for you? Have you ever thought about all that God has done for you? Have you ever thought the fact that throughout the book of Romans, he mentions these things? God loves you. Have you ever just sat back and thought about that statement? God loves you. Why? I've asked that question. God, why do you love me? What do I have to offer you? I am a sinner. I fail. I fall short. I mess up. Why do you love me? You want to know why he loves you? Because he created you. And he created you for a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God. That's why he loves you. He loves you before you ever loved him. In fact, he loved you in your sins. And some of you may be in that boat right now. And God still loves you. How about God's grace? Have you ever thought about the fact that God is gracious to you and to me? The word grace means undeserved merit. There is no reason God should want us. There's no reason God should love us. And yet he does. It's God's grace. Have you ever thought God saved you? He changed your life by the mercies of God. He took you out of that miry pit that you were in and he changed your life forever. It is through the salvation of God, it's by the mercies of God that you and I can be saved. You see, that's the thing. God not only saves us, but he justifies us. Have you ever thought about that? The fact that God justifies you. You will stand before God one day just as if you had not sinned. Now, I don't know about anybody in here, but you think about this. Are there any people in here that are perfect? I know some, of, I know some people may think they are, but we all fall short. If, if you're married, you know you're not. Your wife will bump you and tell you you're not perfect, right? We're not perfect, but we will stand before God one day justified as if we had never sinned. Perfect in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, he justifies us. Not only does he justify us, but he forgives us. You ever thought about the fact that God forgives you? It's by his mercies that he forgives you of your sins. Man, here's the thing. If you look at your old life, I've, I look at my old life all the time, and I sit back and think, God, look at all that you've forgiven me of. 
Look at all the things where I've fallen short and you have forgiven me. If you can think about all that you've done wrong to God, imagine this, by the mercies of God, he's willing to forgive you. That's the grace and the mercies of God. He reconciles us. He gives us freedom from sin. We can overcome sin in our lives. He gives us eternal life. Now, here's the thing you got to think about eternal life. Eternal life is a great promise. But if we lived eternally in this world, that's not a great promise. Because this world only gets worse and worse and worse. But eternal life is promised to dwell in the abode of God with him forever. A place where there's no sin, there's no problems, there's no disease, there's no death, there's no difficulties, no sorrow, no troubles, no problems whatsoever. We get to live eternally with him by the mercies of God. You know what else is awesome about the mercies of God? Is that you and I can call him daddy. Romans chapter 8 says we can call him Abba, Father. He's our daddy. We can look up to him. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. It is by the mercies of God that we have these things. And what Paul says is because you have all of these things, because God has saved you, because he's forgiven you, because he loves you, because he's extended grace to you, because he's reconciled you, because he's justified you, because he's done all of this, I urge you, I admonish you, I exhort you, I am begging you, to lay down your life. He says it clearly right here when he says what? That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. The word present comes from the Greek word paristomai. It means to place on the offer, on the offering and on the altar. It means to be fully surrendered. You know, when I was growing up, I knew what it meant to surrender. You'd see people throw up the white flag, right? The white flag meant we give up, we're done. But you know what that white flag means? It doesn't just mean you can imprison me. It means you can do with me whatever you want. I throw up the white flag and what I'm basically saying is, God, my life is yours. You want to take it, you want to use it, you want to kill it, you want to live it. Whatever you want with my life, it's yours. Because I think about Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. You see, my life is no longer my own. I have to surrender to him. You see, many people don't realize this, that there is so much more to being saved than just praying a prayer. You see, Matthew chapter 7 says that there's coming a day of judgment. And when we stand before God, he's going to look at some and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. But Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and didn't we cast out demons in your name and he's going to say depart from me I never knew you you see the problem is today there are a lot of you in here that are testing out Jesus like you test out the waters you ever seen people getting into pools you know they're afraid it's a little cold and so they just kind of dip their toe in there and then you've got those really crazy people that do it one step at a time oh that's really cold I don't know if I want to go another step or not. Oh, that's even colder. Let me get back up. And so they just kind of, you know, I'll take a little bit of Jesus at a time. Just, you know, I'll dabble my toe in Jesus and I'm in the water. I'm swimming. I don't know about you, but when I get in the pool, I just jump in. I just dive in. I want to be all in. Here's the thing. You're going to be cold, but your body will adjust to it eventually. The same with Jesus Christ. Instead of testing out the waters, instead of continuing to stick your toe in the water, just jump in. Just give him your all. Stop holding back. 
We're called to present our bodies as living sacrifices. That example goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 22. And the reason being is because every sacrifice in the Old Testament was usually killed. It died and the blood was spread. It was spilt for those people so that their sins might be forgiven. But in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham was asked to take his son up on the mountain. And as he took his son up on the mountain, he had the wood with him. And he carried his son up and he built the altar. And then guess what? He took his 13-year-old boy and he bound him up. And he laid him on the altar he had made. He was ready to sacrifice his son, knife in hand, above his head, ready to plunge it into his son's heart because God had asked him to. And then God says, stop. I don't want that. And God provided a ram in the thicket. Can I tell you something? Isaac became a living sacrifice. In other words, his life was no longer his own. It should have been done away with at that point. He should have died at that point. But God stopped him. God wanted to use him. And here's the truth of the matter. God wants you to be a living sacrifice. He wants to use you today. You see, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24... Jesus told his disciples what it would take to follow him. He says, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That means you've got to stop living for yourself. You've got to stop just giving God what you want to give him. Well, I'll give him 50%, but, you know, I'll give him Sunday, but Monday through Saturday is mine. When I go to work, I want to be able to live how I want to live. No, you've got to give it to him all. There's nothing to hold back. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew 10 and verse 37 to 39, Jesus told them there, he said, you got to love me more than you love father or mother or brothers or sisters. You've got to love him above all things. That's why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily. I die daily. In Philippians 1, 21, he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, my life is no longer my own. In fact, in 2 Timothy, he made the statement, he said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. He willingly gave up his life for Jesus. Are you a living sacrifice? Are you willing to give your all to him? You see, William Borden was a man who was raised as an upperclassman, had everything. Parents were rich. They had it all. All he had, he never had to work a day in his life. But God got a hold of his heart and called him to be a missionary to Egypt all the way back in 1913. The only problem was when William Borden went onto the mission field, he contracted cerebral meningitis and died at the age of 25. The world would say, oh, he wasted his life. He wasted it. But to be honest with you, he was not wasting it. He was a living sacrifice. Because he gave his life on the mission field, it inspired so many others to get up, to get out of the church and go to the mission field and share Jesus with a lost and dying world. I also love the story of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott gave up everything, could have been a very prominent preacher in America, but chose to go to the Brazilian Amazon. He went there with one hopes to lead headhunters to Jesus Christ. You heard it right, headhunters, cannibals. But he wanted them to know Jesus. He felt that God had placed it upon his heart. He's known for making this statement not long before he died. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. We cannot keep this life. We will eventually die. We will all eventually be in the ground. It's going to happen. The question is, what will you do with this life? Will it be lasting? Will it make a difference? If it's for Jesus, the answer is, yes, it will. Yes, it will. You've got to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And here's what he says about it. He says, it becomes holy and acceptable unto God. I love the word holy there. The word hagios means to be set apart without blemish. Whenever they would check the sacrifices, they would make certain that they were without blemish before they made those sacrifices for the people's sins. We're called to do the same thing. In fact, David asked the question in Psalm 24, who may ascend into God's holy hill? He says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Well, can I tell you something? On your own, there's not one of us in here with clean hands or a pure heart. The Bible makes it very clear, according to Isaiah 64, our righteousness is as filthy rags. We fall so short. So how does it happen? How do we get that way? How do we become holy? We don't become holy in and of ourselves. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 exactly how it happens. The Bible says, He made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might have the righteousness of Christ in Him. You know what that means? That means in order to be a Christian, here's what happens. You strip off that old sinful lifestyle and you throw it away. You get rid of it. You part with it. You put it in the past. But then what happens? You come back and God doesn't want to leave you unclothed. He comes back and he robes you in his righteousness. So that when you stand before God one day, you stand before him in the power and in the blood of Jesus Christ so that your sins are forgiven. You see, that's why we're able to be holy. Not only are we called to be holy, but acceptable, which means to be God-approved. And he says, that's your reasonable service. You realize he says, that's your worship to God. Let me tell you something. One of the biggest problems we have today is sometimes our worship can only be lip service. And Jesus speaks about that in Matthew 15, 8 and 9. He says, this people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but... Their heart is far from me. Folks, I'm here to tell you, I played the game for far too long. I went through the motions for far too long. If you're sick and tired of just going through the motions and you're ready to dive all in, He's ready to have you. He wants you. You just have to be willing to give Him your bodies. Number two, you got to give Him your minds. You got to give Him your mind. Romans 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word conform comes from the Greek word soskimatos, which means to masquerade or to put on an act. The word is used oftentimes of a chameleon. If you know what a chameleon is, he blends into his surroundings. God doesn't want us to blend into the world. He doesn't want us to become conformed to the world. In fact, he says, do not be conformed to the world. Now think about it. When we used to go to the beach... My parents would buy me that mesh bag. Maybe many of you had it. Inside that mesh bag had a couple of sandcastles, had a piece of wall, had a little shovel and a little hoe, and then it also had a plastic shell of a seahorse, right? I don't know what that had to do with a castle. But the seahorse was one of the most impressive pieces. So I would take the seahorse and I'd put my sand in there and I'd pat it down. I'd throw a little bit more sand on there and I'd pat it down and smooth it out. And then you're real careful, you get your hand up under it, and you flip it over on the sand real quick, 
and you tap it a few times and you shake it and you pull the shell up hoping to have what? Well, that'd be a miracle if it was a real seahorse, wouldn't it? A sand seahorse, right? The image of a seahorse. What happened with that sand? It got conformed by the mold. And God says, I don't want you to allow the world to conform you to its mold. You see, we are called to live in the world, but we are called to not be of the world. It's okay for you to love the people in the world and pray for their souls and desire to see them saved, but you don't need to be acting like them. The Bible makes it very clear in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, where it tells us don't love the world. The purpose in John saying don't love the world is he's saying, I don't want you to act like them. Don't have the desires they have. Don't have the longings that they have. Don't commit the sins that they commit. Give your life to God, surrender, and be changed forever. That's what God wants for us. Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Now, I'm going to tell you, I love that word. I grew up in the 80s. How many of you grew up in the 80s? Some of y'all are ashamed to say you grew up in the 80s because you had a mullet, didn't you? Mm-hmm. You ladies had the big old bouffant in the front, right? I grew up in the 80s. I grew up with transformers, you know, robots in disguise. I had a bunch of them, and you'd roll them out there, and you'd transform them into robots. And so when I see that word transform, I'm thinking, how cool. You know, we're called to be transformers. But that's not a very good image because even though the car could be disguised as a robot, you can still tell there's a robot inside of it. The word he actually uses there in the Greek language is metamorpho. It gives us our English derivative metamorphosis. It reminds me of when I used to to catch caterpillars. Any of you in here catch caterpillars? I'd catch caterpillars and you'd let them crawl up your arm and, you know, and then you'd put them in a jar and put a few leaves in there and maybe a stick in there and hopefully when you put the lid on, you poked holes in it. (laughs) But that caterpillar, its whole purpose, its whole intention is not to stay a caterpillar. The whole intention is it will climb up one day and it'll come into a cocoon. And inside of that cocoon, eventually it will break free and it will bust forth as a butterfly. Now, if you've ever looked at a caterpillar, you certainly don't see the beauty of a butterfly in it. But let's just be honest. When God transforms a life, you can't see the old life anymore because what God has transformed doesn't look anything like what it used to. So funny, I had been pastoring for just a couple of years and my wife and I went to go eat in Greensboro, North Carolina and I ran into my fifth grade teacher. She comes over and we begin to exchange pleasantries and she says, so what are you doing now? And I said, I'm a pastor. She starts laughing. (laughs) After she catches herself from laughing. She goes, no, seriously, what do you do now? I said, no, seriously, I'm a pastor. You see, when God changes you, you won't look the same. There's a transformation that takes place. The old life is done away. The new life, the new creation that God makes in you is so beautiful. You'll never be the same. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a beautiful picture that Paul speaks of 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 18 when he says this, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Can you believe that? That God is transforming you to look more like Jesus. In other words, the longer I live, I should be leaving my past behind me. And the longer I live, I should be closer and closer to the goal that God has laid out for me. Day by day, moment by moment, step by step, until one day I begin to look more and more like Jesus and less and less like my old self. You see, that's what God has called us to by being transformed. In the renewing of your mind, you think about this, God wants your mind. Oh man, our minds will wander they will wander. Some of you already wander, and I see some of them on their phones already. Oh, we can't take five minutes away from Facebook or Instagram, can we? Or Twitter or TikTok or whatever it is now, right? We're, we're all about that stuff. It's just so hard to put it down because who knows what somebody's doing halfway around the world that might just change our life. Well, somebody did something halfway around the world for you that did change your life. When he died on the cross for your sins. And he died to transform you so that you would never ever be the same. You see, here's what Paul's trying to tell us. We got to give God our minds. We got to stop holding on to those little areas. I think about David in the book of Psalms where he tells him, he says, search my heart, O God. Let me tell you something. If you ever ask God to search your heart, you better be ready. You better be ready for a reckoning. Because when God starts to get into the deep crevices of your heart, and if you ever do what Bertha Smith said, she, she would go in and she would go into churches and she'd walk up to pastors and she'd say, all right, pastor, here's what I want you to do. Pastor would look at Bertha and, what is it, it Miss Bertha? She was a great missionary. What do you want us to do? She said, I want you to sit down with a pad and paper and I want you to read Psalm 51 and I want you to pray for God to open your heart and reveal the sins in your life. Pastor sit there, okay. And Miss Bertha would say, now here's the thing, you don't get up until God's done with you. Every pastor that's ever done it, including myself, thinks that one page will be enough. But we just keep flipping pages and flipping pages. And by the time you get to page number three, you should already be in tears broken over all the sin that you've not confessed. You see, oftentimes God wants the whole mind. He doesn't want just a part of it. He doesn't want you to just confess a few sins. He wants you to confess all of them. He wants you to give Him your mind. God wants you to give Him your body. He wants you to give Him your mind. He wants you to give Him your will. Listen to this. That you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Acceptable means God approved. Perfect means complete. But we should want the will of God for our lives. In fact, Jesus told us to pray in his model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever thought about how God's will is done in heaven? Perfect. There's no question when God tells him to do something. We ought to pray like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Can I tell you why God's will is so much better than yours? I recognized this one day when I was traveling to school. I was flying on a plane. Normally, a lot of times, I would just drive to Atlanta where I took a lot of my classes. But I decided to fly one day. I was going to take it easy. And so I had a 30-minute flight versus a four-and-a-half-hour drive, and driving through Atlanta traffic is whew, not pretty. 
So I decided to fly, and, and there's a major road that you take all the way from Greensboro all the way to Atlanta. It's called I-85. And so we get up in the air, and I begin to look down, and I can see the, the, the traffic, and I can see the cars that are down there, and I kind of snicker thinking to myself, I just saved four hours, you know? And so as I get up a little bit higher, and I get up a little higher, I find out, all of a sudden I look down, and there's this massive wreck across I-85. Cars everywhere. Huge wreck. Traffic's completely stopped. Cars can't get through. They begin to pile up right behind each other for a couple of miles. And as I'm flying over, I'm just thinking to myself, man, I could help those people out. If I had a phone, I could call down there and I could say, look, if you'll get off at exit 51, take a right, go down to that side street, take a left, go three miles, go to that next stop sign, take a left, get back on a highway on exit 48, you'll bypass all the traffic. I had a better perspective above looking down on the people. God has a better perspective of your life than you do. And you know what's amazing? Not only is God up above us looking down and watching everything that's going on, He knows your past, present, and your future. He has all knowledge of everything that's going to happen in your life. He knows the troubles that are coming your way. He knows the things that are going to take place in your life. He has the best will. He knows what He wants for you if you will only listen to Him. You see, as people... If we want to be all in, we can't just dip our toes in. We can't just give God a little bit and say, yeah, well, God, I gave you Sunday. You should be happy. God wants all of you, not just a part of you. God wants you to be a living sacrifice. He wants you to be all in, fully surrendered. There's a man by the name of Cortez who came to discover the new world. You know, he did the craziest thing they'd ever heard of back in 1519 when he came to discover the new world. As soon as they landed on shore, he told his 600-member crew, burn the ships. Burn the ships. His men looked at him like he was crazy. What do you mean burn the ships? What if things don't go our way? What if we don't get to this new country? What if we can't defeat the Aztec empire? What if, and he didn't want any of the what ifs. He said, burn the ships. We are here and we're not turning back. This morning I want to ask you, are you willing to go all in and not turn back? I'll just be honest with you. You can play the game that I played. But it's not a fun game. It's not a good game. The truth is, every one of us is going to stand before God one day. And God knows your heart better than you do. And here's the thing. You can fool me. I'm just a man. Because I don't know your heart. I don't know your relationship with God or whether you have one or you don't. But you know. You know you. The question this morning is, are you all in. And if not, are you willing to go all in? Do you want to surrender? Because let me tell you something. There is no greater life than a life that is lived for Christ. There is no wasted life that is a life that is lived for Christ. This morning, I want you to know my Jesus. I want you to know him as your Lord and Savior. Will you today 